Another week is nearly ended. Uh, welcome to the weekly review and welcome to Sanctuary First. And it's great to have you with us tonight. And we've got a great panel with us tonight. We've got James Cuthcart. Hello, Albert. As Good usual, to see you. great to have you with us, James. And we've got Laura Dagen. Hello. And we're still missing the doc because he's still working hard in, the, in, his, in, his, in his day job. But he tells me he'll be back next week. But we are really excited and delighted to welcome Peter Nielsen. Welcome, Peter. Uh, Hello. Good to see you, Albert. Peter is a retired minister within the Church of Scotland, living up in Crail, but has had a huge influence in shaping the way some of the thinking behind the Church Without Walls and has shaped the leadership and the thinking behind many ministers within the Church of Scotland over the years. So it's great to have you, Peter, with us tonight because our theme is uh, we're asking, what are the big issues facing our world today that are demanding leadership? Where do we need the leadership? And we're thinking about what kind of leadership is needed in politics, in industry, in church, in culture, in the arts, and on the street where you live. Can you be a leader in your street? There you go. Uh, were you out shaking the can when they, for the NHS? Uh, are, are you out with your... Uh, Christian aid envelopes, trying to get people to support the work that's needed anyway. So do the leadership styles that we promote in the world today, the world leaders influence these sectors? And can we be an influence? So that's the kind of area we're looking at. What do you think about that, guys? Absolutely, lots to think about. And uh, we're going to be reflecting on Peter's prayers this week, because Peter, uh, you've been our daily worship writer, mm. and uh, you've been focusing particularly on this idea of leadership. So it'll be really interesting to see where our reflections tonight link in with the prayers you've been doing this week. Yeah. So listen, how do you feel about things? I mean, uh, here we are in Scotland. I know there's people listening in from all over the world, but uh, they, we're now on level, are we on level five yet? Are we coming up to level five in Scotland? Not quite, level four? I think, level I think you've got one more than, than Nicola Sturgeon at that, have you not? Is there five? Is there not five levels? Uh, but, but it starts at level zero and goes up to level four. So you, you, you've gone into the stratosphere, Albert. <laughs> See, okay. <laughs> oh, well. I think um, the, the, as the region's not going is it like in the next few days we get told what what uh, tier we're in yeah. um in the next few days yeah, so. so it's all going to be different uh, yeah it'll be interesting to see about all these but people are feeling kind of tired don't you think and kind of weary yes yeah I, i've had a i had a I've spoke to quite a few people this week and had been in a few different online groups and there seems to be like a a general kind of weariness um, uh, amongst people. I think people are really, It's. I think it's again, it's this, um, it's the not being able to actually come together, you know, um, the, the, the kind of physical closeness and also a lot of people, it's the not being able to participate in worship, you know, within mm -hmm. a within a group freely. You know, mm -hmm. this is this seems to be like what's uh, coming up with the people that I spoke to. So, do you think there's a temptation, Peter, seeing a situation like this, for leaders to you see to try and like like President Trump and others have said, you know, we're just trying to keep everybody's spirits up, you know it'll all get better, you know, it, it's going to get better, or there's a miracle around the corner. And so the temptation is for leaders maybe not to be honest about something. Yeah, I, I, I think that's been one of the great dangers is a false optimism. I think we, I think we have, we're misjudging this if we think we're going to be out of this before the end of 2021. And so I think the, the fact that people have tried to parcel it up in a matter of weeks or months has created the weariness, you know, as was it uh, that, you know, the, 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 that sense of the weariness when, when a hope is raised and then you're disappointed, a hope yeah. is raised and you're disappointed. That serial disappointment is what's wearying people. Uh -huh. yeah. um, and uh, I think uh, if I can anticipate what will come out tomorrow in my prayers, it's actually about patience. It's about the long view of uh, and the long 
the long rhythms of God's purposes, which are actually much slower than our kind of click and collect society. So that's part of the issue, I think. And I, I also think there's one of the key issues that we are seeing and, and uh, you know, with, uh, people are struggling with is to be adaptive leadership. I mean, this is, is a bit of jargon around about the nature of leadership today, but we need to be adaptive to the situation. And I think people are finding that difficult because what we want is somebody to say clarity. Here's, here's what we're going to do. Here's, here's the end game and here's how we're going to get out of it. And nobody can say that. And living with that uncertainty and having and trusting leaders to be adaptive, I think is is one of the difficulties because we we can't we don't get the clarity. So I think that's part of the I think that's part of the weariness to pick up your point, uh, Laura. Uh, mm. you know, why people are, are 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 tired. And I thought your point about lack of connection was also another issue. We we need each other. You know the in the. Ecclesiastes talks about, you know, if one falls, we need the other to lift us up. If one is tired, we need them to help them. Mm. And then that wonderful sense of togetherness that carries us forward. When that disconnection is there on our own, we, we struggle. Um, so uh, I think we have to remember how as, the, as Christian leaders, the body of Christ, in a sense, represents the need to be operating in a in a togetherness uh, we need that do you think there's something here for us all to learn that perhaps uh, more people are now understanding what disconnectedness means be, be, and maybe we'd be more sympathetic to those who have felt disconnected for a long time yeah you know from our society and disconnected mm. in so many ways that that, that that they're saying well we've all we who's looked out for us there's a, num a number of years ago, there was a, a wonderful Kenyan minister came uh, to Scotland, David Gathie, and this is 15, 20 years ago. And I remember he was sitting in my office. I, was, I lifted the phone to, to speak to a particular person. And I said, hello, is so-and-so there? Uh, can I speak to him? Spoke to him and I gave my message. I got, did the business, I came off the phone. And David looked at me and he said, you are so disconnected here. You're so disconnected here. And he said, we would, he would in Africa have started by saying, Albert, how's, your, how's, how's the family? How are you doing? Are you, are you well? And then you do the business and then we'd finish the bit and you would say, Peter, how's the family and how are you doing? And the relationships would be part of, of life because there's a, a sense of the we of the African culture. Mm -hmm. is lost in our very individualistic culture. So mm -hmm. I think we are reaping the, the harvest of our individualism at the moment. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, but the hunger for community is most certainly there. And I think early on in the, in the pandemic, uh, we saw in the lockdown, we saw a, a wonderful surge of communitarian interest, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. wasn't there? You yeah. know, um, but that's beginning to tide's beginning to roll back a wee bit, I think, as people are beginning to feel the need for self-preservation in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's um, key there, Peter, because um, I think as well people are worrying, you know, about their own situation. They're okay. worrying about their family situation. And it is, it's then it's like you're, that's what your focus is. That's right. And and it's hard to be generous when you're when you're worried about, well, how is it going? How am I going to manage in, you know, maybe a month's time, a week's time, you know? Yes. It's um, very difficult. Mm. Yeah, because many people I this is an interesting area which should perhaps I could direct our thoughts to start thinking a wee bit about this then. If if we talk about the crisis of leadership in the world today, where do you think the, the key area, where is the crisis of leadership? What are the areas that really need to, the world needs to come together on and look at? What is the big issues? What, is there one big issue or is there two or three? What, what, what do you think they are? Well, something you know, I'd like to to build on is when Peter, you said earlier this idea of kind of reaping the individualism, you know, and, and there's one of the painful things about this situation is that it's both 
something that requires collective action. You know, everything that we do, not everything we do, but a lot of what we're required to do involves us thinking beyond our own self-interest for it to work for everyone. And yet, as you pointed out, Laura, we're more disconnected than ever. So that's one of the really painful things to negotiate, how we really need to think about one another, but we can't interact with one another in the, in the same ways. And I think there's something in Albert, this sense of disempowerment that we've got generally through society, that even when it comes to issues about, you know, the climate crisis or ecology or whatever, a lot of the stuff ends up being about, you know, what can you as a consumer do? What can you don't, you know, don't use straws, don't buy this, don't do that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but are we doing those things in order to fundamentally change who we are and what we're doing and how we live? Or are we essentially shuffling something around that doesn't really make that big a difference? You know, like, like I think in so many cases, whether it's a political cause or a ecological cause or a social cause, we've kind of encouraged to think that if you change what you buy or what you say, that's enough to some degree. And it's not that those things are irrelevant, but if it's not part of a kind of cohesive sense of how you're changing, you know, your life or your priorities so values, or, or what you invest about, in, your yeah. values, then it isn't really making, you're going to make enough of a difference. And it's one of these things particularly that you see a lot on social media is the sense of, you know, people having to have an opinion on something and having to say the right things and, and identify in the right way or the right camp use the right terms and so on and it isn't that those things don't matter and it's not that those things are irrelevant but i think we've been taught to think that in this society that we live in that that's essentially the power you've got you know we'll keep you comfortable we'll keep you with amenities keep you with a reasonable quality of life but your role is essentially to buy these things or not buy these things and so i think there's a real sense of us actually owning up and i think early on i think when one of your first prayers perhaps peter uh, Jay, you talked about the idea of leadership across our lives, you know, and I think it's easy to think about leadership as being someone else's problem. Uh, whereas actually, are we as individuals leading others? You know, are, are we showing people another way to be in our streets, in our family, in our communities? Or are we just merely following a different trend? Um, so, so I think it kind of, it's, it's through everything, I think. Yeah, yeah that was, that, you were talking about that, I think it was on Monday, Peter, you spoke about justice and you were talking about the focus on justice, um, enough for everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, and, and I thought it's interesting, it, you, what you said there, James, we didn't talk about the politicians talking about levelling up, but what you talked about, what you said there was the need to level across. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, it, it's a more about trying to have a, a more egalitarian understanding, more equal society. Mm, because, you know, something like this pandemic has thrown into relief um, the fact that, you know, as you said before, Albert, there were lots of people that were disconnected and left out and left behind and I, even isolated and not getting out before this. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, because and, there was that line, Peter, in your prayer here, uh, am I too blind to see your broken ones? Mm -hmm. and, and the line widened my heart as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we need to open up more you know so i love that language of opening and widening our hearts it's not about doubling down on this one thing or this one statement or this one action it's actually are we paying attention are we feeling it are we really widening our hearts i just thought it was a beautiful way of putting it that's where, Laura, that's where laura's point comes in though when people are anxious what you do is you you you, clo you close down and it is um a, an act of grace and i think this is where the focus on prayer and worship is important because mm. that's the place of widening actually that's where you widen because you're set free that's because you're conscious of the presence of a god who's bigger than we are a god who underpins all that we're about and so i can begin to relax in that presence and open up my hands again mm -hmm. to other people and so the widening comes i think from a widened vision of god and of that gracious generosity and if we then live within that then we begin to reflect the image of that god in our dealings with one another um, and so our prayer prayer is not a pious escape actually Prayer, prayer is the engagement with the fundamental reality of the universe, which is relational. It is that extraordinary relational God 
who is constantly pouring God's self out in goodness and generosity to the world. And when we sit in the presence and declutter our heads from a lot of our words and our anxious recycling of our worries, which we, we actually haven't prayers at all. <laughs> they're, they're a kind of just a, an inner recycling. It's when we stop that and sit in the bigness and the grandness of this that we discover we've got space to be generous again. So I think the discipline of prayer, and if I may go back to one of the other things that I was asked to reflect upon, it was that, and I used the word sovereignty um, mm. from Isaiah 45, which is an extraordinary uh, passage, you know, about Cyrus, who is the, the emperor who was actually going to move across the, the whole of the Middle East and so change the geopolitics of the Middle East that would release the Jews from Babylon in due course. And here was God saying, this pagan king, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm moving in and through this, this, uh, this situ political situation and it's, there's good stuff and bad stuff all happening, but I'm in it all. I, 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 I. And it was this repeated I that kept holding my attention, actually, in that passage, um, which, you know, counteracted all this, in this, this very uh, self-centered, self-absorbed I is our who we are and again opened up before the one great i am and my i am fits into the great i am and so i mean i could have made the theme of that humility because i said you know a mark of a leader today is humility uh, lay aside the hubris that we see plenty of and move to humility but you don't do that unless you have a a profound sense of this other grander i that is mm. the the, the, the one who holds all this stuff together. Um, mm. And that's what releases us from our, 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 our very selfish eye. Is that, is, is that not reflected in that kind of um, beginning, that passage at the beginning, uh, which was this week in, in Exodus, where Moses says to God, if you don't go with us, if your right. presence doesn't go with us, yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we're stuck, we're, we're absolutely right. sunk. You know, I can't do this on my own. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and what I found in that whole, reading that whole passage, Peter, again this week again, was the sheer intimacy between Moses and God, that Moses had this ability to be able to almost cheat back God and say, look, if you, are you sure you're going to come with me? <laughs> you know, you, you better come with us. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. It was a feisty prayer. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> You know, but but it was it was because he understood something of the and then God says I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. you know, right. it's, it's powerful kind of a, um, but th this is exactly what we wanted this week to be this whole month to be about a living freedom through recession to start with worship because unless we get to the place of true worship then we can't encounter. That's good. That's the key to freedom. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so th this whole area of leadership now, the two things, worship and leadership, we, that, that's what I think we're crying out for in the world today and also we're crying out for in the church. Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, the leaders who will see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think for most normal people, I think what they're wanting is leaders that that can get alongside them. You know, it's like, you know, Moses is asking God, you know, in that passage, you know, for his for God's presence, you know, to walk with him. You know, be with him is is the journey. And I think that is what most people want as leaders that can journey beside them, that understand what it's actually like, you know, to be in this place where you're, you're really suffering, where you don't have any money, that you don't know maybe where, you know, how you're going to get your messages, you know, um, in the next day or two, um, how you're going to pay these bills. And 
this is why I think there's a real another disconnect because it seems as if our leaders do not know what it's like to be a normal person. And we just seen it this week as well, whenever, you know, MPs are not voting, you know, they're voting against, well, some will say, because there was MPs that did vote for it, but voting not to, you know, give free school meals to the children throughout mm-hmm. the school holidays. And you're thinking, well, we're in a time that it's, this, you know, it's unprecedented, you know, it's not all families are struggling and so why can't we you know why can't we be helping you know families and children and so that's that just one thing you know and people then are like well our leaders are completely out of touch you know they don't know what it's like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely and i think that drawing alongside you know that you said that sense that someone will actually be with you when you're going through something. And I, um, I read this uh, fantastic book um, before becoming a dad this year that was called um, The Carpenter and the Gardener. I think I, I referenced it in one of my daily mm. worships back then. Um, but it was like the one parenting kind of book I decided to read. And her whole thing is about kind of exploding this idea of parenting because she says you don't, you're not wifing or husbanding or whatever, but we've turned parenting into work. And, and, and not just work, but we've turned it into uh, like a kind of academic model that we think you need to read the right thing. She's a child psychologist and everything herself, but she said, you know, we've turned it into something you have to study because if you're going to do anything, you need to read lots of books on it and you need to get ahead of it. And, and one of the things she was saying about caring, you know, for children is actually the most kind of natural pattern or a much more natural pattern um, of learning is apprenticeship, you know, and the children and and people tend to learn in kind of communities that are larger than just one, um, um, what do you call it? Um, nuclear families, you know, you might call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually about people spending time together. And the idea of just grouping people by uh, batch number, you know, that you're all born at the same time and you have to all sit and take in this information. Some people are really wired very well for that and have done greatly out of it. Um, but many people haven't and, and, and we kind of get stuck in these patterns. And so parenting is, if you like, one or caring for your children, if you don't call it parenting, but it's one example of leadership. You know, we're talking about different types of leadership. And and I think sometimes we we try and I don't know, make things more complicated than they need to be when, when, when sometimes what's actually needed is that presence and that sense of, you know, children have throughout history learnt by being given something basic to do and being told, right, well, you have a go at that and then having another go and then going to meet him up the hill because he's quite good at that and could use a hand. And, you know, so there are much more organic models of leadership out there that work that aren't this very, very businessy, very um, formal. And uh, uh, Albert was... <clears throat> was you know kind of moving us asking a bit about the Jesus model and if you think about Jesus model he starts off by taking people with him yes he starts by walking alongside just what you said uh, Laura he's alongside he's in touch with people and people can touch him literally Um, and then then he kind of teaches on the hoof um, there's a story here, there's a question there, there's a, uh, an observation here, there's a what do you think about that kind of situation. Then he gives them a bit of a test run. You have a go at some of this stuff. Um, and once you can raise the dead, we'll take you on to the, the, the heavy stuff, you know. Um, uh, and then he, he does a, he, he then moves uh, literally in the middle of Mark's gospel. You switch into the second uh, phase where he is saying it is about facing uh, the tough stuff of life. It's living with, with difficulty, with suffering. And I think something was said earlier about um, we have become such a convenient society and become so comfortable in many regards that we have insulated ourselves from some of the real pain that you are talking about, Laura, that people are experiencing today. And I think what Jesus was saying we, we, we need to live close to that. But the great hope was, he takes them that way and he teaches them about the cross. But the great thought, the thing about that is, he takes them through that. This isn't, this isn't an end game to, to live with suffering. It is to come through the other end with a different kind of life and possibility. And so 
there's hope, you know, that he inspires in the midst of that that suffering. There's an empathy, but there's a, a great sense of 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 capacity to, to to of possibility for new things, and and maybe that's the kind of combination in terms of leadership, uh, to have the empathy to be alongside, but the capacity to inspire a hope that would be uh, that things will be will be different. And that's not just about the the flimsy optimism. Actually, I think that's been floating around, but I think there is a, another deeper hope. But that's got to be some. Some, it doesn't. We don't just drift into it. I think that's the other thing I want to say. There are choices to be made. You know, we learned things in the in the severe lockdown. Somebody called it the Great Pause, and we learned about creation and its beauty. Uh, we learned about connectedness and communitarian concern. Um, we we began to be uh, aware of our need for relationship. Many of these things, but what happens is because it's been quite short we default back and we drift back. And unless we say we saw something and we're choosing to do it differently, choose a different kind of economy, choose a different kind of community, choose a different kind of set of values. You know, what's, what's essential, what's not essential? Did we really sort that out? Or was it just, you know, a, a grocery list, uh, grocery stores were open, you know, you can do your, do it, get your food, but other things were thought to be non-essential. But all of a sudden, the thing that was very important was that everybody could, could eat out to help out. Was that really a core value for rebuilding society? Hmm. That seemed to me, I, I thought, how threadbare is that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know? and Go I back to being a consumer, please. <laughs> we need yeah. you to consume. <laughs> <laughs> With all respect to obviously the people whose businesses depend upon my going and having a meal, and I appreciate that. But if that's the basis of our economy, is actually you know saying the way the way that you can build the economy, go and have a coffee. I think what 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 have we arrived at? You know, of course, yeah. and, and, and the could, massive cost of that as well. Yeah, but the you huge could cost. Yeah, you could see how that could have been built upon. I mean. The whole idea of people wanting to meet and talk and share and catch up and have, have you know, it's, 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 it can be the basis of something. I mean, I suppose what I'm trying to ask about, maybe since we're moving into this whole area now is, so leadership, should leadership then be talking more about social purpose? What is the purpose of economy? What we've, what we've thought about before in the Church of Scotland, we've, we've we, we, we had Charlie Mann a few years back writing about the purpose of economy. What is our economy for? You know, is it to make money or what is it for? And, and this is where theology and politics meet and theology and philosophy and, and, and you know, the purpose of life itself. Do we have something to say here as Christians about what is the purpose of economy? What is the social purpose that we should be working towards? And should all business, here's a question, should all business and all our enterprise have a social purpose behind it? I think so. But it's, uh, it's convincing, <laughs> you know. It's convincing, like, you know, the majority of people out there that, that it's actually valuable. And I think it can be done, but it 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 would take quite a while to embed. But there has to actually be a desire mm. um, from the leadership that 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 there's the value there in it, and that is actually where we're going with it. You know, that's this is why we're doing something. You know, because, you know, it, it benefits society. It creates a better society where, you know, there's more equality. But I think at the moment there is still within the leadership of our, of our country and actually probably within most kind of political parties that it's um, the economy is there to make money for, you know, certain people because they're getting you know they're getting lobbied you know that their friends are saying well you know we need this industry to succeed here jimmy you know 
It's all you know, resting need, on it. It's you know, we need your support in this direction, you know, towards these items or this kind of fuel. Um, <laughs> I'm not and the whole kind this. of, uh, you know, revolving door that how strange it is that, you know, you're in a, cer- a certain sphere, then suddenly you're working in a sphere regulating it, and then suddenly you're back in a sphere benefiting from decisions that you made and 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 there is a kind of weird environment i remember reading um when i was at university there was this book um i think it was called being consumed by the american theologian called william t Kavanaugh, and it was a really small book but he was talking about the free market and and he was saying that i'm not here to discuss or to kind of go into the kind of pros and cons of the free market in terms of you know uh, is the free market good or bad? You know, he was setting a stall at the beginning. I'm asking, is it a free market? Is it really free? And I think sometimes maybe what we need to do is think a bit about the language that we use because we take a lot of things for given that like, oh, it's a free, freedom is a good thing, right? So if, if something's free, then that means it's good. But how free is the free market? And, and, and how much, you know, and how much are people trapped in certain dynamics which are just not helpful? And they, they theoretically got a choice, but it's it's no choice at all. And so in terms of the thing, you know, we were saying before in terms of your, the language you were using, Peter, but this expansive thing and, and fighting against this narrowing down, because I think that, that that is a helpful in terms of what I was thinking of before, but the kind of role that we've got as consumers where everything's kind of narrowed down is we need a much more expansive sense of, does our life really feel free at the moment? Like, so it's like challenge those claims. Like, if, is this really good for everyone? Are we all benefiting from this together because we don't seem to be it doesn't feel like it so so what is a more free way of living so not say oh i don't want a free market i don't want freedom and i don't want liberty no i do want it but i genuinely want freedom i want to feel free not just be told that theoretically i'm free then then the question is free from what and free for what for what yeah. But for what? And it's free it's free to love, it's free to be, I think, the social responsibility thing that Albert's kind of angling at. I mean, I, I think it's maybe worth turning this back. There are ways, there are ways of do, talking about this that um, kind of leave it with uh, those out there to do something different. And there's a way of talking about this that says, if, if we think of ourselves as a Christian Christian people, What's the challenge to be a more radical Christian community that begins to model a different kind of economic life um, so that you're, uh, that's in the Acts of the Apostles. And the connectedness was about meeting people's needs out of the resources that people had, that everybody had. Um, and it wasn't necessarily just pooling everything, but there was made sure that no one was in need. And, you know, the, the first big crisis, I mean, the church could have could have died on over racial discrimination and uh, and being given the sphere, the fair share of the of the, the food distribution, you know, back in Acts chapter six. And that was both racial discrimination and economic injustice. It could have founded there and then, but they dealt with it by putting, having a leadership that was representative of the people and, and, and by ensuring that there was a fair distribution of the resources that were, were You're breaking up, Peter. Sorry, Peter. I'm not sure if you can hear us, but you, you've frozen um, for a second here. So I uh, hope that you um, unfreeze soon and yeah, <laughs> we're able absolutely. to continue hearing what you're saying. Um, but uh, currently we, we, we can't hear you. But I think this whole area that Peter's talking about is this model in, in, in Acts, is it chapter, is it chapter two or three? Is it, yeah. Yeah, in chapter six where the, the, the deacons come in, Stephen the deacon comes in yeah. and starts to share the, the the resources of the community with the mm-hmm. the, the the everyone else mm-hmm. and, and I think that gets us starting to think about maybe um, within the organization of the church as we know it today how do, how does that work how 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 does that work say even in Scotland amongst say even within our denomination say the Church of Scotland how how caring and how willing are we to share our resources with one another? And you get congregations in the same town, eh, 
and this is ours, this is ours, yes. this is ours. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't even mm -hmm. share the things that are not even for, you know, which is meant to be for ministry, but yet we won't even share these things. So our minister, mm. I used to really hate that. I'm not anybody's minister. <laughs> this is, he's our minister. Uh, <laughs> so you're owned by someone, you're like a slave, yes. you know. That's wow. hilarious. That's this hilarious. is my, this is our building. <laughs> Peter, hello. Oh, sorry, you're just on mute there. Okay, there we go. That's it. Hello, good to see you. Good to see you. My apologies. I think my internet, my broadband here, well, sometimes this comes and goes, and it decided to go. Uh, <laughs> well, so we're glad that you have returned. <laughs> but you can, there's a great parable there. You can get disconnected, but you can get connected again. You there's can get reconnected, refellowshipped. Re <laughs> the preacher will out. The preacher will out. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. Yeah, we were just saying there, Peter, in the light of what you were saying there about fellowship and about sharing resources in the Christian community, uh, remodeling itself and maybe looking at what does that transformation mean. But surely at a time within our own denomination, say, I, I know there's people from different denominations that are looking in here, so we don't want to just home in on the Church of Scotland, but that's what we know at the moment best. And to see the challenge that's facing us as we try to use our resources wisely across the whole church and how challenging it is when people are wanting to say, this is mine, this is our building, this is our minister, we can't right. share that. That's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. And, and I want to compare that, if I can, just with a, uh, I'm thinking of a group of people, and this, I'm talking about 10 years ago, when a group of people felt a call to, to form a small fellowship in Postle Park in Glasgow, and they moved in, uh, within an organization known as Urban Expression that, uh, that plants small groups of people to form churches within, within under-churched uh, and poor, the poorest 5% of the population. Um, and one of the, pr the principles of that little fellowship was that they... Um, sorry, are you frozen? No, 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 we can no, hear. Sorry, <laughs> we were all just paying attention. We're just we're paying all... attention. <laughs> we were wrapped, Peter. We're wrapped. We were wrapped. <laughs> I bored you, bored you into rock solid frozen. <laughs> okay, well done. Okay, what they did was they there were people who were coming with different jobs into that situation, and they went to the Shaftesbury project, and they were able to tell what was the average weight living. A salary for say a, a, a couple without children or for a couple with two children or whatever it was and they opted to live with the appropriate salary that was there for their particular life situation and they then there's, there's other principles of what they did with the remainder of them, but some of that went into a community fund that then was dispersed to the rest of the community now that's radical stuff but that seemed to me, and, and I, I haven't done that, please don't hear me, I'm, I'm looking in on something that had me saying, wow, there's people who are prepared to say, we'll, we will uh, lay our resources mm. at the disposal of the wider community. And they were able to fund all sorts of community initiatives out of their own, what were quite, I would call normal resources. Um, but used, they kind of constrained their own, they lived by the principle of enough that we mm. talked about earlier on. What's mm. enough for us? Is no that a bit, like, a bit like Tolstoy? Did Tolstoy not do something like that in Russia? Hello? Is everyone silent? Uh, I think we might have lost Peter again. Okay. I'm not sure. It looks like he's frozen. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 he may have done. I don't. I don't know. But mm -hmm. about about okay. Tolstoy. I mean, I know certainly he had a, a great um, interest in the life of people and um, and so on. So may well have done. Yeah. Something like that. I'm sure. But um, of course, the challenge then is to people that, that people stay in that community and become part of that community that they don't use it as an experiment and then bail out again go back exactly. to the old life again yes uh -huh. I think it's um, you know it's because um, you're making a commitment aren't you 
you know, you're making a commitment to, to that community. It's a bit like, like, remember we had the Les Henson with us a few weeks back when he made a commitment to a community in a Stone Age village and lived with them for 18 years. Aye. Yeah, yeah no, th there, is, there is that danger, you know, that, that you, don't, um, you don't live it out um, to some degree. I, I, do you know, the funny thing about all that was I remember somebody sent a comment in to, to Les about something he'd written about and it was as though he wasn't interested in the poor and he hadn't really connected with the poor, you know, and he, he was so gracious in the way he answered them back. But if only they had known what he had actually, the level that he had gone into to serve and to work with some of the poorest people in the world, they would have never made that comment. And they would have never misunderstood what he was writing about, mm. you know. Hello, Peter. You're back with us again. Yes, I apologise. <laughs> you see, you're, you're you're dealing with somebody living on the very edge of Scotland here, you know. And, and living on the edge, Peter. Living on the edge. <laughs> the edge. <laughs> he just clings on to broadband with our fingernails. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for fighting the good fight and uh, for reconnecting. We appreciate it. Yeah, you, you never got back to. How did the story end? Is that group still going? Um, they, some of them are. Some have moved on, but some, some, some are, st are still living on in in Postal Park and for, have formed that that little little community and stayed stayed there. I've lost touch with them now, to be honest. But they certainly, for a good ten years, they were they were part of that. And there are there are other examples, as you'll know, other people that mm -hmm. live by that kind. And indeed, the Iona community, their family groups, operate with a, a very a particular economic model of of sharing as well. So that I think there are examples around the church of people who have said, uh, not only will we, as it were, advocate for changes in the wider society, but we will we will do that from a place of modelling it. And I, I just wonder whether, I mean, I, I'm actually not at all sure that the church's institution at the moment is going to, to be able to, to, to weather this particular storm. And I think there's going to have to be something at a much more micro level that will rebuild the church from the ground up. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. uh, and if we could begin with this, these kind of questions about if, if it's about you know, the kind of planet we live in, if it's about the kind of economics that we want, if it's about the kind of reconciled society that we want, then what kind of church will you be to incarnate that as these aspects of the kingdom of God so that people have a kind of walk-in showroom of how, it, how God would like it to be? And uh, that's what I, I suspect, but I don't see it institutionally being able to manage that. Do you know, I, I, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, even within Sanctuary First now, the opportunities that people are having uh, to, on, on the internet the, to be part of something, the, the level of, the, the level, technology, the technological level is not all that high to get involved. And I think we are beginning to see people coming together, interested in little groups to come into the, this, the example would be in a coffee shop, the folks that are really coming in and enjoying and making connections with one another. Eh, and, um, and like the connect groups. And, yeah, and, and like the connect groups. Because there's, there's a real, um, some, there's a real, within the coffee shop, and it's this place where, I, you know, the space where there's like laughter, lots of laughter, you know, a bit of banter, you know, friendships are, you know, forming and building. And there's there's space also, you know, for people to bring, you know, pastoral, you know, issues, looking for advice. And and it's so, it's organic, but, but you can just see there's a, it, to me, it's a real community, you know, there. And it's coming online and it's, you know, it's, it's so beautiful, you know, to be That's a part so of it. It really is. It's wonderful. And you're thinking, oh, this is, this is church. <laughs> this exactly. yeah. And I think this is exactly. happening. I think the opportunity, we're seeing something opening up on this internet in the sanctuary first. It's, it's a network. Church 
Mm-hmm. And, and I think then we, we could see more of these connect groups coming on board and more coffee shops opening in different parts of the world for the time, so for the time level so that people can come. Because I think there's an interest, there'll be an interest in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it's, and it's <clears throat> organic and it's, uh, and it, and it is, and it's like this, like raising people up, and you know, and there's an encouragement there, and it's just, it's, it's, it's all stripped back, you know. We've stripped back, you know, the formality and you know tradition, and and just see where it goes. <laughs> so I mean, I suppose in the end of the day, you strip it right back, as you say, Laura. I mean, Jesus said it would basically, if it helps us to love God more. If it helps us to love our neighbour more, then that's it. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, it's it's not relevant. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's about as simple as that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's helping us to go, I think, deeper, deeper with God, heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving our neighbour, loving one another. And these these are huge I mean, these are huge challenges. We all know there's just people we didn't want to love. <laughs> Let's face it. You know? Yes. <laughs> who, who, who are the people that we're ignoring? And really, if the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go and uh, just connect with that person, you say, send somebody else, please. You know? Um, so, I mean, this, this, this business of, of caring at that level, I think that's that's... That's the lifelong journey, is all I'm saying. It's a lifelong journey. Um, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm interested in listening to what you're saying there, Laura, about the, 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 it seems to be kind of life issues that are being shared in the coffee shops and people are getting encouragement, getting support, getting a touch of, I'm not in it, I'm not alone. Yeah. The journey, you know, that, that's, that's huge. That's mm-hmm. huge. It really is. And I think, you know, the idea of things being organic, like you, that was the word you were using there, Laura, but, you know, coming up organic or, as you said, Peter, about the kind of micro level and the solutions and things, things developing. And, and I think the kind of concern with the church or, or in other kind of aspects of society would be the sense of too much of a kind of technocratic sense that we have to borrow from the world of agencies and consultancies and... And, 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 and the sense that there can be, you know, because as you were saying, this is an unprecedented situation. There isn't a rule book. There isn't every life as it has been has not equipped us for this situation. And, and I think our best chance of getting through it, you know, when you think about even on the biological level, like when organisms are threatened, you know, like the, mm-hmm. they go for diversity, they, they, they go for, for ferocious growth and change, and then things adapt and move on. We can't just put all our eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. So, if, if, uh, Albert, I wonder if I could just, because okay, so having taken it down to that level uh, uh, of where we are, so a sense of our, our responsibility. Um, I don't want to sidestep the big questions you are asking about the kind of the kind of leadership that the world needs today. Um, and I don't know if you've come across uh, uh, Madeleine Albright's book talking about the, what essentially is the rise of fascism across the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and while you wouldn't name it necessarily always as fascism, she, she identifies the, the, uh, the kind of bullying tactics of people who basically seek power for power's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most, th- the most worrying aspect of her analysis is that people like Hitler and Mussolini, for instance, were voted in. They were voted in. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't usurp power. You know, autocratically, they were voted in and then manipulated the population from that place. Mm-hmm. And I quite. See, I want to say quite seriously. I think we have to be very careful across the world at the moment, especially with uncertainty, because the cry goes out: we need strong leadership to sort this out. And mm-hmm. I think we then delegate up what is our responsibility to deal with. And uh, that's why I think 
you know, when we when I began the series on leadership, I didn't want to start thinking about world leaders or even church leaders, but the, the lead you could give, as I, I think I said, by the mood you set in a conversation yeah. or the yeah, question you asked. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was very perceptive, Peter. I agree entirely with you on that. Um, but then that mood then affects the kind of leadership that we want to, we, we want to vote for. That's correct. That's correct. You know, we but start. The, but the, but that, that kind of, the, 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 the desire for the strong leader, the, the Xi Jinping, the Putin, the Trump, actually, they'll just name it. It was all, it's all based on fear and anger. Mm-hmm. It all feeds on, on, the, on the darker side of our humanity. So our fears, our insecurities, you know, this, this, Big Daddy will sort it out. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I'm, I'm angry and, and this champion will, will, will you know, knock the living deal out, say it's somebody else on my behalf. And there's a, there are a lot of that going on at the moment. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm profoundly concerned. Um, about about that, Madeleine Albright, who was um, I think she was know, Secretary of State at one time. Secretary of State, that's right. And and her analysis is really extraordinary. And the the language that uh, Donald Trump used about draining the swamp—that's a direct quote from Mussolini. Uh-huh. You know, that was his language. So uh-huh. I, I I just want don't want to sidestep. I think your big. Well, I think these are the big questions I was wanting because I was wanting us to get onto that because what's on the big stage affects what I'm trying to say in our everyday life. Absolutely. And and what what you were doing, quite rightly saying, is it's what our everyday life has to, we need to be the ones who affect the big stage and not let the big stage affect us, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and that's part of the kind of, challenge about the kind of leadership that we're looking for um what kind of you know what kind of things that we're looking for humble creative leaders with the servant heart yeah um yeah. what should leaders be talking about and i think our leaders should be and leaders in industry or even in politics should be talking about the social purpose mm-hmm. the principles behind why they're wanting to do something and then how should they lead purposefully, courageously, but across the board by, by creating new leaders, you know, and by, by bringing more people into leadership. And that's when I was wondering about part of Presbyterianism and its history was all about, it was trying to hear the mind of the community of God rather than, than the, the dictates of one person. Mm-hmm. And, and the critique, I remember, you know, but, you know, I know we crit- criticise the Presbyterianism as the lack of trust, but part part of it was also to it should have been to bring about raise people up into ownership and leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's um, like when I worked. Uh, well, as everybody knows, I tell them. <laughs> you know, I worked for um, John Lewis for many years, and that was the ethos. I know things are kind of having to change and adapt now, you know, within that business, but it was about co-ownership. And we were from, you know, it didn't matter what level you were on, you were a co-owner and you had responsibilities within the business. So it was your responsibility to do the best that you could do in your job, take pride in it, be the best that you could be in it but it was also your responsibility to you know encourage the people around you you know and when you seen that they were you know well what's wrong what what, what what's wrong today you know if people weren't doing a good job you know try to find out why you know help them you know raise them up um and then and we had you know um councils you know, where you could talk about the issues that were affecting you at a local level and then, you know, at the, you know, at the, the more kind of the business level. And these ideas, you know, ideas that people had, they filtered up. And so there was this, you held people, you know, you held the leaders to account. And uh, that, you know, to me, I thought, I've, I thought that was a really 
you know, I was really proud to work for a business like that. Mm-hmm. And I think within, you know, within Presbyterianism, actually that was something that appealed to me about Presbyterianism, you know, because there's this way where, you know, there's a, a co-ownership, you know, holding, you know, each other to account. Um, and I think there's things like, and that, you know, as, as the church changes, I think there's things that we really need to hold on to, you know, mm. values like that, that we have to hold on to because it, people have to take responsibility, you know, for themselves and also to hold their leaders to account, you know, and not just be blind to things. Laura, can I ask, how, how did, how did uh, John Lewis avoid that moving into a kind of inertia of being settled with what you've got, because that our Presbyterianism has has kind of ossified. Uh huh. You know? Yeah, that there had there was there did come a point where actually there was times I think within the business that it felt that it was you know that that was happening, but then you had to change you know because. Um, you know, like we had a you know, partnership bonus. And if you see that the other businesses around you are, you know, getting more customers and, you know, get, you have to think about, well, what do we have that nobody else has, you know? And it was like this great customer service and staff that were co-owners. But they realised they had to continually change and adapt as well. And if things were no longer working, they had to kind of, you know. Go. See, they're going, they're moving into a property development now. Did you see that? No. John Lewis, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're moving into a building. Buildings going to build build a a social housing, and and furnish it with John Lewis furniture, and rent out. Rent out. <laughs> rent out. It's a social, social housing. Nice. There you go. Nice. There you go. I a, like a bit of John Lewis stuff. That's a new, it's a new business model for John Lewis. So we're doing, we should be getting a bit of the advertising <laughs> for this. But I think it's about, you know, I think we, you have to be self-aware, I think, Peter. And I think that's that. It's like, we, you know, um, you can't just sit on your laurels, you know, that, oh, yes, you know, it's about being self-aware and perceptive and continually, you know, right, what's, what can we adapt here? What's working, what's not? I wonder if we could get back to what you said earlier on, Peter. Our core business is worship. Mm-hmm. And maybe what's happened in Presbyterianism with forgotten what our core business is mm-hmm. and and we we have we have not been we've, we've not we've not maybe invested enough in worship and we've been more interested in structure yeah, yeah remember roland walls did you do you you didn't you, know, you went to glasgow of course yeah but Ro- I, Ro- I knew of roland walls Ro- i know who he is yeah. Ro- Ro- roland walls uh, i mean was part of a monastic community community of the of the resurrection or transfiguration was it um out at roslyn and he he spoke of poor chattering protestantism poor chattering protestantism that had lost the capacity for the, the 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 worship of silence of 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 awe before the mystery of God uh-huh. um, and that that widening go back to the phrase that I used earlier allowing our hearts to be opened up like the flower before the sun you know living in the gaze of grace mm-hmm. um, that allows us in mm-hmm. turn then to be begin to reflect some of that grace and embody that grace. And that was one of his his things, and to that, so I think Albert, you know, that you, to that extent, that place of of that true worship, and there there have been times I think in our our Protestant heritage when there has been worship that has been truly awesome, mm. truly awesome. I mean, you and I have experienced truly awesome worship, absolutely, in yeah, all sorts of different places. We 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 know. 
Um, and these are moments that stay with you and they have, they have shaped us more deeply than we could, than we could articulate, don't they? Uh -huh. they, just, they just leave you, you know, there's something changes gear inside you because of that. And uh, I wonder I, if we need to recover that. That's all. And, and it's been sometimes very small experiences oh. or something very large, oh. you know. And, you know, I think of the, the 2008 a great, the great jamboree in, in Ingolston, you know, with John, with John Johnson, Johnson, yeah, you know, doing an altar call and hundreds of people in the Church of Scotland coming forward, you know, and, you know, we, you know, it's just quite amazing, you know, that if we could recover some of, but we're not to look to the past. We've got to, you know, one of the things in Sunday we're talking about, celebrating and remembering the past and giving thanks for the past, but living in the present. And I really don't want to stop it just yet tonight because we're at 10 o'clock, but there's one area, because we're coming out of a crescendo of, of confidence and, and, and building us up in Christ. What I wanted to, you to talk a bit more about, Peter, tonight was, this bit you talked about, the joy of leadership. Mm -hmm. the, the leaders should be joyful. Mm -hmm. The importance of joy in leadership. Finish us off with that tonight, Peter. Well, I, I found myself uh, very challenged by that because there is so much that can cause us to feel despondent, could make us feel even cynical and pessimistic. But I was very challenged. I have a number of friends in the States, African-American friends, and I'm in touch with them at the moment over the recent you know, stuff that's been happening in the, last, mm -hmm. in the last year. And it really was from them that I was saying that they said to me that, 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 that joy is our, our protest. That is our protest in the face of all the suffering that we, that we have. And one, Professor Willie Jennings, he said um, that, his, that his mother, he said, I knew there was trouble in the house because she sang louder. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and, and so that sense of you know, the, the, the joy of God is not, is not a denial of the pain that's the point it seemed to me that we it's almost feel guilty to feel joyful in this terrible time people yeah. are suffering people are dying everyone's in, in a difficult position and you know, should we be singing any songs? Oh, no, no, we should really be, you know, feel, feeling the pain. And we should. But then the joy is saying, but we know there is one who is at work in the present. Yeah. Unseen, doing something deeper than we yet know. There's a deep cleansing going on. If we have the courage to follow where the Spirit's taking us. And he's going to take us through to something new that will be comprehensively new. And have that hope is to say, I'm willing to stake my joy on that hope, on see, that possibility. I, see, Peter, what you're describing there is the true meaning of lamenting. You know, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept. Yes. When we remembered Zion, yeah. we wept. But, but the, there was that joy, they were weeping because of the joy they remembered and or the joy that was coming, the joy that would be, you know. Yes. And I think that's the depth of what we need to get to, this sense of that, that all will be well, yes. but, but we will have to live through the pain. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and these words of all, all will be well, I mean, they can sound as though they're just from a greetings card, but you know, as I know, that they come from the, from the writings of Julian of Norwich, who had an extraordinary, she was living through the plague in the 14th century. She, was, she almost died more than once. And she had this great revelation of Christ on the cross. And these words, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, were words that she heard Christ speak from the cross out of his passion. And so these words actually come from the one who endured hell itself and knew that for the joy that was set before him, he would endure the cross. And so there is a joy that is a transcendent joy, trusting that all will be well in the hands of the God of resurrection. And that's where our joy lies. 
Well, you know something, Peter? I think that was well worth seeing an extra five minutes for this this evening, just to finish us up there, to get us in, just thinking about what this is all about, isn't it? We've we've travelled a lot today. Thank you so much for being with us, Peter. Great oh. contribution. Thank you so much, and thank you uh, to you, Laura, and to James as well for your contributions tonight. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes, enjoyed it but also have been um, challenged by the conversation we've had together this evening. Uh, can I remind you that uh, Sanctuary First continues in ministry this week, and in Sunday, we're uh, on live, uh, Sunday live at 3 p.m. But can I give you a heads up? Uh, you probably noticed that Sunday live is changing its time. And, uh, yes, with the clocks going. <laughs> new clocks. season. Yeah, new, new season. season. Uh, with the clocks going back, we are going to uh, have Sunday evening worship, and it's going to take on a different vibe. Do you want to just say a wee bit about that, James? You're doing the first one? Yes, absolutely. So um, on the 1st of November, Sunday the 1st of November, will be our first Sunday Live at 630 and uh, the idea is the services will take approximately 45 minutes uh, as opposed to an hour. But at the moment, as you well know, they take approximately an hour, give or take. So I'm sure they will continue to take a give or take. Um, but the idea is to go for a slightly shorter thing, um, an evening thing. And it's partly this idea that, you know, with lockdowns and, and, and uh, various restrictions that we have in our lives, that people will want to maybe use Sunday afternoons. Uh, in the Northern Hemisphere as the days get shorter um, to socialise or to see people or go to parks and, and that kind of thing. So we're going to move to the evening, but there's also a kind of challenge creatively for us as a team to think about this idea of perhaps evening prayer and um, a more meditative approach maybe and this thought of how do we approach the day ahead or the week ahead, you know, Sundays, that kind of inflection point, yeah. isn't it? Um, and so the evening um, gives us a new springboard. So we're going to do that for a bit in the autumn and, uh, and over Advent as well. And Alex Shuttleworth has been giving us a great template that we do every evening with our evening prayer anyway. But uh, So that's great to just do something in the evening. So can I remind you, Sunday, this is the last one, Sunday Live at 3 o'clock. And then can we remind you that uh, the Century First Giving campaign has started this week. And uh, if you would like to be a contributor and help to and support the work of Century First, there's an opportunity for you to do that. And uh, just give what you can. And uh, the most important thing is to join us on, Sunday, on Monday evening for our time of prayer. We're having a prayer meeting, 7.30, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock yes, on, on, on Monday evening, 7 to 7.30. Come and join us for the prayer and you'll get the link in the coffee shop. If you go in at 7 o'clock, the link will be there. Come and join us. So uh, look for, and next week, the writer is Scott Harmon and Scott from Minneapolis will be joining us as part of the service on Sunday as well. So until next week, have a good weekend. I know it's going to be a bit raining in Scotland tomorrow, but there's going to be places where the sun's shining. And if it is shining, have a great weekend, even if it's raining. <laughs> See you next week. And thank you so much. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.